This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Six Philadelphia narcotics cops busted for alleged corruption. These are the officers who allegedly broke the law instead of preserving it. Federal charges say they robbed and extorted suspected drug dealers in a case that police commissioner Charles Ramsey called one of the worst cases of corruption he has ever seen. I've been a police officer for more than 40 years, and this is one of the worst cases of corruption that I have ever heard. Police Commissioner Ramsey sounding off on the six former narcotics officers locked up by the FBI overnight. They face a mountain of corruption charges, including racketeering, essentially robbing drug dealers of cash and selling the confiscated dope, including marijuana and cocaine. Throughout the course of the conspiracy, the defendants routinely entered and searched homes belonging to suspected drug dealers and stole money and property. Death by Incarceration gained access to Jeffrey Walker, a former narcotics officer in the Philadelphia Police Department. This week's interview is both shocking and brutally honest. It gives us an inside view of what police work really looks like and how they cheat the system. We want to thank Jeffrey for his honesty and for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks very much for listening. My name is Jeffrey Walker. I was employed by the Philadelphia Police Department in 6, 6, and 89, a year right out of high school. I basically uh, went, just like every other cop, they go to the police academy for five to six months. I worked down Center City Beat, Christmas Beat, they call it, after the holiday season was over. I was assigned to the 16th District. I've been a police officer since, for at least 24 years. When I was uh, arrested, for uh, felony charges, utilizing the uh, constant source to rob a drug deal. I was arrested on May the 21st, 2013. I was taken into custody. I found out that uh, my uh, other co-defendants basically set me up with the FBI because I was the fall guy. Uh, they believed someone was talking against them. They believed it was me. Prior to my arrest, you know, my uh, partner pulled guns on me. You know, they forced me out of the squad. But again, I was involved in corruption for at least 20 years. So it was hard, kind of hard to break a habit, which I'm accustomed to do. That's what led to my arrest. Once I was in, uh, I was happy to, you know, I was a highly decorated police officer. You know what I mean? 75% of work I did was good work. 25% was terribly wrong. Now, if you multiply that 25%, it's a lot. You know, I mean, throughout the years, you know, once I was in, you know, my sister was a police officer also. She didn't do anything wrong. She worked inside. She's seen a, a lot of things. I used to talk to her every day. You know, I mean, we were really close every day in my career. Because I'm five years on the job before she came. She followed me on the job. And we used to talk about things every day. And uh, she used to talk about paperwork and how the cops mess up the paperwork. And she brought it to the supervisor's attention. And it basically just brushed her off. But at that point, I couldn't tell her I was part of that corrupt world also. 
because I entered corruption four years within my job. I was actually trained by a black officer who someone trained him. I came in the beginning of the crack stage. You know, crack came around 86, 87. I came a cop 89, so you can, you know, you kind of, I'm right at the beginning of all of that. I quickly got influenced by my training officer to one, lie on paperwork because who the victims were. We, we didn't even look at them as victims. We looked at them as parasites, people who were taken from the community, destroying the community. And at that time, you know, me being young, I was easy influenced. It was like, I was like 20 years old. Got sucked right in. Um, he showed me how to arrest people. He showed me how to use what we call articulation, meaning it's a hidden word for lying. Is is basically building a bridge between probable cause of correction, reasonable suspicion to probable cause, which is the, the facts to, for the arrest. It's creative story writing. You learn that young. Uh, you learn that right out of the academy. They don't teach you none of that. That's something that people learn on the street. As you as you progress in your your career, your articulation gets better and better. Uh, once I came into the narcotic field unit in two thousand. I was, again, I was already corrupt. I was working out in the 16 District 5 squad. I came in with my partner, Brian Reynolds. We went to uh, West, Southwest, we got to call it West Detectives at the time. That's how far I go back. They changed it to Southwest Detectives. We worked in a squad where I chanced to work with another officer named Tommy Lichardella, who's, again, I started to learn my, I started to fine tune my lying, I would say. I worked with guys who fathers stole. You know, it was gener- I quickly learned it was generational. Guys led the squad. It kept us out of trouble because they would teach us how to, you know, cut corners. You know, a lot of also lying comes from cutting corners because, you know, you have a certain amount of time to do an investigation. So you quickly want to put things together and get PC for a search warrant. And next, you know, you're in the house. We got as far as we wasn't even looking at the PC. We were just utilize sources of information and I'm explaining what a source of information is. It's just like an informant, but the informant is registered, the source of information is not. People have to understand when someone gives a police officer information and an investigation, he's doing an investigation, they always want something in return. Either it's not for them to show off for court, which he was known to do that countless times, or to turn a blind eye to look the other way. That's in both categories. Uh, we're talking about uh, confidential informants. Basically, a lot of them are still in, involved in criminal activity, which again, that's against police department policy. You can't commit crimes to give information to a police officer. That was common throughout the whole my whole unit, you know, because that's how they would gather the information. And nobody even questioned, not even the supervisor, because when you go to your supervisor and says, I have this information from either my source of information or a confidential informant, he should ask you, where is he getting that information from, from it? And how does he know that information? These things does not happen. I got a question for you. I got a question for you, right? I, as a native from Philadelphia, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm familiar with your case, real yeah. familiar. But my question to you is this, because I'm a straight shooter. And I think that our audience, our listeners, want to know answers to such, some of these questions. Have you ever, in your 24-year career, have you ever set anybody up? for murder no uh, or a lie on them about a murder case that perhaps are they still in prison today for wrongful convictions no i had a limitation of what i would do i had no problem lying on a drug bill to have them arrested 
But I, you know, I worked with uh, other police officers who was used in confidential informants, not even confidential informants, okay, source of information. And they would keep control of these sorts of information, which, uh, which actually was other drug dealers. And they would actually threaten them, I'm going to tell other drug dealers that you're giving us information. A lot of that was very common. So that's how we got control of the sources of information. So have you ever witnessed any other detectives, such as James Pitts? that we all know has been all over the news, arrested, set anybody up for murder. A former Philadelphia police detective arrested and facing perjury charges. Investigators say Detective James Pitt's misconduct led to a wrongful murder conviction of Obina Onya. Onya was convicted in the 2010 shooting death of William Glatz, who was the owner of a jewelry store in the Northeast. Back in May of 2021, Onya's murder conviction was vacated. He was exonerated after evidence proved he was too tall to be the shooter. This after he spent 11 years in jail. Onya was convicted primarily on the testimony of a confession that we now know to be false that he gave to Detective Pitts. No, do you understand? That's homicide detectives. We're narcotics. Even though we do investigation work, we work jointly with them. The question to that answer that question is absolutely no. But I know Pitts. We all come from the districts. All police officers start from the police academy and they go to the individual districts. They learn his bad behavior throughout the districts and other senior officers. So when these officers come up throughout the years, they become detectives, they become sergeants, supervisors, all the way up to deputy police commissions. You know what I mean? So it's always someone who knows somebody. Corruption is a is a hidden society within the police department. It moves through the it moves through the it's a it's a culture. It moves throughout the police department. And the reason why it lasts so long because it involves so many different types of people that actually look out for each other. You know what I mean? And it's and it's it's, it's connected directly and indirectly. Meaning, I might be knowing this person I'm dealing with. I might not know the guy he's dealing with. Okay, that's no, how it's but, moving around. But in your 24-year career, and your 20-year career of being corrupt, your own words, right? Yeah. Have you witnessed, or do you know of any detector that has set up? No. Now, what I will tell you this, when we do our warrants, detectives ride alongside of us, meaning when we some of these houses we go into, they got illegally got information, which they would normally get have to get a warrant. They would be able to search. Like we're in there. See, when you're searching for a house for drugs, you search for specific things. That means drugs, money, paraphernalia, computers, anything pertaining to a drug organization. But sometimes these homicide detectives ride along with us, and they began to search these different locations and gather illegally gathers and make these are things I have witnessed multiple times. That setting somebody up for murder and all that other stuff. No, that's that's a whole different realm within that 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 uh, that unit right there. I mean, fair enough. That's fair enough. Thank you for the answer, right? But in your professional opinion, because I do still consider you a professional, because you was in the field for twenty something years. In your professional opinion, do you believe that anyone that's been set up by a corrupt cop and it's been proven? Should that person deserve a second chance, meaning a new trial or exoneration? I answer that question clearly. Since I came home, I have been doing affidavits. So I, I, I'm supporting the fact that from the time I came home, I have freed over 4,000 people. 
from just my affidavits alone. I strongly believe in second chances, especially if somebody is wrongfully convicted. These are the things that opened my eyes that I was brainwashed for so long. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm actually risking my life telling you all this information because I've been threatened. I've been, I had a protection order uh, against my co-defendants as a result of a deposition revealing all this information. So I believe that there are people in, in the prisons that are a group of people, I can't tell you how small, how large, there are a group of people in the prison who are wrongfully convicted, meaning that they participate in some type of activity, but they didn't participate in what the police officer is saying. These are the people who's doing long times in jail. And then you have a smaller group of people I call just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and, and you, do, you deal with a heartless investigator who just don't care. And a lot of it's supported by racism, economics. You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot mixed up in that. And they're sitting in jail. And then you have those, since I've been hands-on doing affidavits, I turned down affidavits because I tell the guys I'm dealing with, listen, you have to own up to what you do first so I can help you. If you're going to not own up to what you do, I cannot help you, okay? Because my for, for police officers been arrested for lying, your credibility is zero. When I went through my uh, bringing my uh, code of fantasy, even though they were not, even though they were acquitted, that basically sh- sh- told the, the investigators that it's deeper than what it is. I have to explain it to them because police officers and supervisors will come in and lie for them. They will get, you know what I mean, right on the stand with a straight face. These officers are heroes. They don't do anything wrong. You know, this cop is a bad apple out of a bunch, but no police officer operates alone. You know what I mean? So these officers were acquitted. But as I got into doing affidavits, because I was on a mission at this point, because I destroyed my career because, you know, making bad choices. But I wanted to change the department where a police officer comes on a job, does not have to go through three choices. One, either you participate, you turn a blind eye, or you get the fuck out, okay? And there's a lot of police officers, good police officers on this job who are turning a blind eye, but they have a career. We all humans, police officers come from our community. Police officers, me, you, everybody, but they're just given a, a, a job that oversees the population and keep order within the population. These people who commit crimes within the department believe they're doing the right thing because again, the economics, racism or whatever, you know what I mean? You know what the situation is. So the whole thing is, what you start from your, your, your last, your, your question is, yes, I strongly believe that people should be given second chances. Even if they did something wrong within an investigation, they should be held accountable for what they did. And a lot of guys is doing 20 years, 13 years on something that they could have got three or five years for like the Meek Mill situation. I'm involved in that. I was watching TV, watching him go through all of that stuff. And I reached out to a reporter, which actually reached out to his team. And I worked with the officer who actually set him up. So I, I have the ability to look at the paperwork and see what's wrong in the paperwork. I have, that's the one thing about corruption. You become an expert in identifying the things that are wrong within the paperwork, okay? And that's what makes me so good because I got 20 years of experience of that, okay? I can tell when somebody's lying and the story because police work is universal universal, and the thinking is also right behind that. So if someone is corrupt, 
we all follow the exact same patterns of behaviors and what's going on. You know, there's some things I hear about, about the detective, I'm still shocked. Like you talk about Nordo. I knew Nordo. I know a lot of these guys, but I did not know for sec their habits of all of them. You know what I mean? So these, you know, you know, it's like being in the hood. You know who's selling coke around the corner, crack over there, this and that. But you might not know the detail unless you're involved in what they're actually doing. That's how police work is. You know what I mean? It, it, nothing goes unseen. It's just if you choose to pay attention to it, that's where the blind eye goes comes in. That I mean, but 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 you know, because this issue goes directly into the issue of public safety. Yeah. So, and all the people that you arrested in twenty four years, yes, right. Some of them may have been guilty. Some of them, I don't know. So I my question. My question, let me finish the question real quick. Yeah. So my, my question is, do you believe that because of your mistakes that your entire caseload should be reviewed or no? Yes, most definitely. Because again, if I'm telling you I'm doing 75% of police work, this is good work. There are people out there who commit crimes, okay? You have to look like with Larry Krasner. He has to individually look at everyone's caseload and see what is done. And and I have pulled, I have pulled out mistakes within my caseloads, and those cases were reversed, okay? Those people were free. But I also pulled out, seen other police officers' caseloads that I was involved in it, and I also explained them that was wrong. See, what it is about the district attorney, you know, these corruptions are hidden society. You don't know what you're looking at. You just see officer did this, this, and this throughout his statements and his testimony. You have to learn how to look for what is inconsistent. Three police officers from Philadelphia are in federal custody. They're charged with plotting with drug dealers to stage a traffic stop and steal $15,000 worth of heroin and then resell the drug. The 14-count indictment identifies the officers as Mark Williams, James Venziali, and Robert Snyder. Also named were Snyder's wife and three suspected drug dealers. What the group didn't know is that they were being watched. Prosecutors say they tried to resell the heroin through the undercover agent. Yeah, you know I mean, like for example, I can talk about narcotics. When you have a police officer who's utilizing a confidential informant, he's saying he's 20 feet away from a, a, a less drug transaction, and he's been in that area working numerous times, several years, and he's able to see a transaction. That's a lie. That's a lie because no one is really questioning him on that. Everyone knows what an unmarked police car looks like, okay? Especially if you're just out there and about. You don't have to be involved in anything that's wrong in the neighborhood. You know, we hit corners and, you know, high drug corners because of complaints and activity, shootings and things like that. So we know that what the corners are. When we pull to these corners, these people, we we do a lot of jump out jobs. Okay, jump out jobs mean you jump out and you figure out what you got. And out of five or six jump out jobs, we may come up good with two. And that's when the articulation comes in that. See, all these things start from bad habits toward. This thing that I'm talking about is nothing new. It's generational. It's the beginning of whatever society is as far as the police and society. It's a, it's a dominantly run white thing. Blacks are forced to get into it because they're brainwashed to believe that they're doing the right things. Because again, 
I wanted to lock up people for drugs because of beginning the crack state. I watched my aunts, my uncles that were in the military turn into crack kids. So I took it personal. You know what I mean? When I came on the street, the first thing I wanted to do was lock people up for drugs. I didn't want to go lie and rob and steal. That came later out of the anger that I was feeling because it was fighting a war, what's going on. So a lot of these things are contributed from one, starting with bad habits, bad influences, and and this, you know, this the blind behavior of, listen, man, you're doing the wrong thing. You know what I'm saying? And if you're working with a group of guys who are doing the exact same thing that you are, and it's not just cops, these are supervisors. You know, I stole with my supervisor. We went all the way up to the deputy police commission, okay? That, that protected us and what was going on. We were being sued and these, we were protected. We had a license to steal as long as we were producing numbers. And the truth is I did, I did 20 years in it and was not touched. Things arise, like we, did, like we got sued by Michael Pelleggi and we did a lot of things in the 16th district. A lot of those cases got dismissed and the ones that got close up to us that we were going to, you know, because once you go to court, you get to testify and the lie starts coming out. You know, the judge said to Michael Pelleggi, listen, uh, after Michael Pelleggi, the city, you need to settle this case. You know, police officers have a thing called qualified immunity, meaning if you make a mistake, you're protected. A corrupt cop knows how to use that. For example, in an investigation, when, you know, you have particular things in any investigation, if a mistake is made, they're protected by, even if they reverse the case, the officer, he's not even held accountable for because he's protected by qualified immunity. We have to get rid of that. You know what I mean? You cannot make mistakes in, the, in, in people's lives, especially when you're talking to sources of information who are telling you things that are not true. They're not even, they're not even checking and seeing if these people are telling the truth. They hold them on face value. They're just telling, oh, such and such shot that person, oh, this person over here. And so they can get a lighter sentence on their cases. And, and again, it's about the manpower, what's actually what's going on, and the officer's bad behavior. You know what I mean? He just wants to end the investigation because he might have four or five other investigations right behind him. Well, you know, he's heartless. It's heartless. It's heartless work. You know, uh, first of all, I just want to commend you for standing up and trying to correct that wrong. I really do. Because I believe that we need more people like you speaking up, you know, recognize the wrong. You know, everybody makes mistakes out there. Everybody. Yeah. And some of us want to correct this. Some of us just could live on with it, right? However, However, to the listeners, you know, I want to say this, that perhaps you viewing Jeffrey as somebody that, oh, he shouldn't be a cop. He shouldn't be this. Nevertheless, you know, he said it in his own words. He is part of our community. Crack and drugs had affected Everybody, especially in Philadelphia, whether you're North Philly, South Philly, West Philly, and across the nation. So everybody make mistakes. It's what we do after we make that mistakes. Absolutely correct. Right? And what you're doing now is trying to correct that wrong. Well, I'm not trying. I am. 
because yeah, you you correcting that, that wrong. You have Bobby. a DA. You have a. I'm gonna tell you this story. When I came home from prison, I wasn't home no more than a week. I reached out to Michael Pelleggi. I uh, in turn reached out to Larry Krasner, who at this time was the, uh, a civil rights attorney. They all came to my home, and they listened to me, and I told them things. And this is I was involved in a lot of civil actions against me because a lot of cases that I were over they were overturned. I was being sued on. But my whole question, my whole situation was, I'm gonna own up to my responsibility, but I'm gonna give you the full picture. This is what's going on. And then when Larry got in there, he was like a, a student. I was the teacher. I was telling him verbatim a lot of things that were going on. Okay. I then then once I went to my first three, I have I believe five days worth of depositions, uh, where. They, you know, they came at me with everything they had. Them talking about the city, you know, yelling, screaming. I held my ground. You know what I mean? I was determined for them to see was actually what was going on. And that's when the death threats came in. I, I mean, I had walking around with a protection against my co-defendants who were still police officers. But the whole thing is, I've been I've been holding my own for so long. You know what I mean? Now it's the, the tide has turned. Investigations are open on up and opening up. It's affecting homicide detectives because we all come from one source as police officers and investigation work because now they see, okay, we have a problem over here now because Jeffrey Walker's talking about investigations and we're looking at all the paperwork and we see a homicide detective may be involved in an investigation dealing with an archives officer. Now that opens up the gateway to what they're doing because once you get one or two of them, you got to remember, we're not doing things by ourselves. They want you to believe that. They want you to believe the bad apple that's on them. They're not going to tell you it's fueled by racism, greed, all the sins. You know what I mean? And they're attacking people that they feel as though that are, 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 are coming at society. Who cares if you chase a guy and you get a gun? Who cares? But the whole question is when you chase a guy, you didn't even see the guy drop the gun. You lock the guy up, you backtrack where he is, look over some bushes on the cars, you find a gun. How you know he dropped the gun? He could have dropped five bags of marijuana. Okay? Now he's going to jail for a gun charge compared to five bags of marijuana. People don't care, but this reality of what goes on in the streets of Philadelphia with the police department. You know what I'm saying? People being, you know, you can't stand on certain corners because that's even though you have the right to do that, because you never know when the cops gonna come around. These are one of the victims. I mean, these are one of the things outside of the their, you know, other drug dealers or whatever may be in the community, people should have to worry about the police as they should. They so shouldn't have to. Do you think Philly Police Department is still corrupt? Almost definitely. It's not the it's the cops and it's it's not I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Again, I'm so professional, I still believe as a police officer because certain things that police officers do, I do agree if they're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? I believe, again, they're us. They're part of our community. They're your mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, people who protect. They're the guys who run in the dark when your ass is not going to do that. Okay? So I'm going to stick up for the ones that's doing the right thing. But within the, within the police department, you have good cops. They're being held hostage and making choices they shouldn't make. They're turning corrupt because this is the thing to do because they're being pressured into involved in and, and I gave you three choices. Either you're going to turn a blind eye, you're going to get involved, you're getting the fuck out. 
You know, I mean, that's just what it is. And, and I, I, I have been out here and I run into other police officers, supervisors, bosses who commend me for what I'm doing because they don't have the heart to do that. This is a guy that's a, uh, a chief inspector. I'm seeing in the supermarket and I knew him when we were all cops. He said, man, you know, we miss you, but we understand you had to go on the exact same time. We commend you what you're doing right now because you're being a voice for us that we too damn afraid to talk. These are supervisors, bosses. This is this is how this thing is moving. You know what I mean? For one, if if I can actually get involved long enough where somebody's doing a job and say, you know what, I'm gonna do something. But you gotta remember, when that officer goes to somebody, he might be going to a supervisor that's already corrupt and might, might, might know these cops you're talking about. It's been things in our squad where officers who are complaining to eternal fears and eternal fears that call our supervisor and talk about, yo, you got your man up here talking. What's going on in your squad? You need to check that. So if there is no confidentiality in the police department when it comes down to certain talking. Corruption is here. We just have to, we can't never, I'm gonna keep it real real with you. We can never diminish corruption. We can bring it all the way down to the point where, where it's not as out here like it is now. You know what I mean? We're at a point where he, that cop won't think twice, that older cop won't think twice before he tell that rookie what's, what's going on or what's doing on. Or that cop feels though, you know, this, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I was involved in three shootings where I could have lost my life three times. One person was killed. When I was in the courthouse, it was a police officer. It was a group of guys, white, black, whatever. They were all standing around. And it was like, you know, they were commending me on the work that I've done. And one cop utter, that is the club I want to be part of. I said, what club is that? Shooting somebody. So these are the thinkings that you have within the police department. You know, guys are carrying that shit as a badge. You know, my whole thing was, you know, I never, only gun I carried was my service wall over gun and game. I never, I wasn't ever a gun fusion where I carried a bunch of guns. My whole thing was fighting crime, going home. I would go to a bar and other guys who may have seen me in the neighborhood, we all talking to the exact same girls. You know what I mean? So I was still part of the community, but I got my respect. I was able to, to go into these neighborhoods on my when I was off and hang with these guys. Not really hang with them, but as, as far as drinking and stuff like that, not really so bad. I got a lot of evil looks throughout the bars, but at the exact same time, I was able to function. Because again, when I leave my job, I go back to my community. And my community is downtown 10 is black, oh. okay? And I've tried to hang in white communities. And I can tell you, I walked in bars, they looked at me and said, who's this nigga? You know what I mean? Towards the end of my career. I've been called nigger at war ceremonies by other officers. You know, we're celebrating and the word comes out. You know what I mean? So I, I'm telling you things that you, you know, we see the surface of what they're doing, which is bad. And we know they're doing something, but I'm telling you exactly what they're doing and how they're doing. The police commissioner says that more than 300 officers made offensive or potentially offensive Facebook postings, some of which called for violence uh, against racial or religious minorities. And in addition to the officers who were fired, others face long-term suspensions. I continue to be very angered and disappointed by these posts, many of which, in my view, violate the basic tenets of human decency. 
The public Facebook posts from active Philadelphia police included messages like death to Islam, another called African Americans thugs, and one offered a threatening and profane version of the Miranda rights. You have the right to S the F up. Anything you say will cause me to effing throat punch you. You know what I mean? So people can open up their eyes. So when a cop does something, he knows he's going to be held accountable for that. He knows. He knows he can't tell that exact same lie over and over again because they know how to, they know how to ask him a question that's going to know to tell that he's lying. And these, this is the most important that I'm doing for information that I have. I'm educating not just the police department, the ones that say, hey, man, you need to step up and do something. You got a problem. What's going on? Because there are people out here in the community that shouldn't be out here. They're, 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 they're killing us, us, everybody. You know, evil. But how can you effectively combat that if you have the things that was going on with the police department? It's totally wrong. You can't effectively do a job if you don't have the right tools and meaning people to do these jobs. You know what I mean? Because now you gonna I mean you got right now you got you lock up a guy for a shoot, you don't even know if that's the guy. For real, for real. You don't know. Because this on the policy and the procedures and the gathering of information. You know, when I say policy procedure, I mean breaking the, of the policy. Because there's nothing wrong with the policy. It's just officers choose not to follow the policy, okay, of how to do their investigations. So it's nothing wrong with the policy. They're just not held accountable for the things that they're doing. You know what I mean? That's just the root of everything. It's a, it's, it's a culture. It's generational. And you got to remember, it's not just filled up. I see things on TV, and I talk with other lawyers. I'm like, the cop did X, Y, and Z. How do you know? Because... I know, you know what I mean? Because this is how we think, what we do, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, this is the world we live in. You know what I mean? I work with white police officers who never been around black people until he became a cop. I'm talking, I'm going back to in the 90s where police officers, when we graduated our, our police academy and we would go up there and they would give us our assignments. They wait to the last minute and I seen what it's scared to death. Oh, you gotta work the 25th district. Huh? I don't want to work there. You know what I mean? Well, you better find a new job. So these people are coming in already scared because when you look in that another culture and they can't understand what's going on, a lot of it, some of some of it's fear too. Because they don't understand. And I'm talking about patrol. I'm talking about from the beginning. And these would create these habits. You know, I mean, everybody got a gun. You know, every everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that. He looks threatening. You know what I'm saying? I if I hear this one more time, a police officer shoots I fear for my safety. That is a lie. Okay, you cannot do this job being afraid. Mm. You have to have some type of courage, and not to say police officers at all, all don't have courage. Again, there's a lot of guys out there who do the job, and that's it is what it is. But they're how can you say you completely good if you allowing all this bad to happen? Right. And okay. with that, Kevin, I see you shaking your head, Kevin. Well, I got, I mean, I got a couple of, of notes that I want to like circle back to. One is the race issue and how, how you, you mentioned that there's cops that have never been around black people in their lives. Yeah. How prevalent is it in the police force in Philadelphia specifically? because we see the communities that are getting targeted for over policing and mass arrests. Yes. You know, what, what does that culture look like? And how, how do you're talking about solutions? How do we start to break that culture? Okay. Well, again, they have something called diversity training in the police department, which actually 
it's been around for a while. But again, when someone comes on this job that is, that is scared, you can train whatever you want to train them. The, the real trainers when they get on that street, and when they pull and they, and they drop it in these, I mean, neighborhoods where I'm not even going to drop. I work. One thing about my career, I work every bad neighborhood in Philadelphia. Okay, and I'm telling you, it takes a lot of heart to work a lot of these areas. So if you're bringing a rookie in and you're telling him, okay, you got to train an officer. I'm gonna put you in this. You're gonna say, say the 25th. You're working with such and such. Uh, he's he's schooling you. He's telling you what to do. Don't do. Don't, don't touch the radio. Don't jump out the car. He's giving you the whole spill. Okay, and after how he ever how he trains you, he really wants to get rid of you because he wants to go back to doing what he wants to do. So now you're in the car as a rookie by yourself. Okay, one thing they, I was taught, you always look up and know where you at. Cause you turn that corner, you don't know what's gonna happen. Okay, so now you have, if you're afraid, you're in a new element, meaning environment, you're new at what you're doing, and anything that you might see is a potential threat. So if you fall into a situation where it's involving you using some type of force, that gun's gonna come out first. And we have something called force continuous. It goes from grabbing, escorting, first a verbal command, escort meaning I'm touching your wrist and moving, shuffling you along where I want you to do, to actually physically take downs. Then we get into uh, a taser before the last resort is use of force. These officers going straight to 10. You know what I'm saying? They chasing the guy, they got their gun out. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with chasing somebody who got your gun out, but always be prepared not to use it too. Just because a person turns around, you just change, they teach you to change directions. If a person turns, keeps turning to the right, you get all the way to the left because he has to turn completely around. Ain't nobody running backwards. You know what I mean? So you can see an idea of what he's actually doing instead of turning, oh, he got a gun, I'm shooting. You know what I mean? It's tactics that we use on the street that are good. But you can tell the inexperienced police officers who are just afraid. You know what I mean? They're, 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 they're afraid. Like we just had a shooting on the film where a young kid was shot. You know, and I'm, I'm I, I can see the whole scenario in my mind because the whole thing is they did a jump out job. Regardless of what they said they did, you know, they did a jump out job. When they jumped out up on them, okay, these people not knowing who they were, that's South Philly. Right. So, you know what I mean? They fire one time, the kid age. You're looking at his age too. So when the kid took off running, automatically he knows they're being chased by the police at that point. Drops his gun, he gets shot in the back. I can tell you the fearful thing, that officer may want to be part of that group I talked to you about. I just got shot at, I got shot, you know what I mean? Put something on him because he, he don't know he's six, eight, twelve, whatever. He's a young kid. He just sees a body running down the street. Right. You know what I mean? There are people with these beliefs in their mind, and it ain't all just a white officer shooting black officers. Officers, black, white, black officers carry that exact same mentality. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It's poor policing. You know what I mean? Poor. And I can tell you the way they jumped out of the car. You know they were all in one car. We have known to jump out jobs in one car because we don't have the equipment. We, you know, when a when a plainclothes officer are are jumping out, he's supposed to have uniform presence. There is no uniform. It's no such thing of wearing a ballistic vest and a, and, and a police across. You need more than that. You need a uniform police car where someone knows 
these are the police. And without that, you have this misunderstanding, even though the kid was wrong, but he didn't have to lose his life for what he did. And these are the things that I'm trying to make clear to people. And I'm, dude, I can walk out today and somebody can see me, a police officer, and he know who I am, and he can he can hit me up just to shut me down. You know what I mean? It's, I can't tell you everything in one hour, but I've been through hell. And let me shift a little bit because there is a, a huge, huge, powerful group in Philadelphia called the Fraternal Order of Police. Yes. And we got a, a guy that's been president a very long time, John McNasby. Yes. Who has, uh, you know, come out against any reforms in the police department, fought them tooth and nail, yeah. fought the publicly fought the district attorney of yeah. Philadelphia, publicly fought any commissions, any idea of a commission independently yeah. looking into the police in Philadelphia, has backed candidates that are not only just against reform, but are want to roll things back to the 90s including state candidates, which isn't normal for a small, for a local FOP lodge. They're, they usually leave that to the national organization, but he's coming out endorsing a candidate right now for the Senate that's basically trying to keep as many people in prison as possible. I know him very well. I know okay. him when he was on the job. My supervisor well, knows him, uh, Lieutenant. He knew him, Otto. He protected us when we were out there in the street. That's one of the peoples where when we sued Michael Pelleggi, which is an attorney, and a police officer is not going to tell you that the FOP backed that because right. as a police officer, you can't sue somebody in police capacity. You know, you have to go to the chain commander with that. You know what I mean? Okay. So he's with, we, you know, the, it, with the black officers, you know, this makes emotion with them because he doesn't protect everybody. You know, he right. protects the good old boys. Uh, if you're a black officer that's, that he likes, he will protect you if you're working with a group of other white officers. So he's selective of who he protects. But he's, he's one of the problems mm -hmm. of the police department. And these ones, I, I within my uh, telling the truth, I'm only going to tell you what I know and what I've right. I've seen, and I, you know, but I participate. Where one of the issues that he has in the FOP, and I've been in numerous times, both of them, where they have police officers who are you know under investigations, they work in FOP as bartenders and if you look at it in, in, in the man book police department you being a bartender is a conflict you can't police officers can't be a bartender you know what i mean so these things these doors are being opened up to support these other police officers my guys when they being when they were being investigated prior to my arrest you know they took them out of narcotophilia i'm going back to seth wings even though he was doing his own thing too he was right about we spoke about my guys because you know they were just to a point where they were just stealing everything and they were some of them were working for the FOP, you know what I mean, to subsidize their income, meaning they needed to make up for that overtime. So he supports police officers who do wrong, you know what I mean, as well as selective. And he does his job. He supports the the good ones, but he also supports the ones who commit misconduct. And that's so, and then we always know we can always go back to FOP. And I go way back, brother. I I I've been around most of the cops that I know have been arrested now, I know them. I work with them. I work with uh, Carl Holmes. We were wagon parts together. You know, look what he was doing. He was raping other police officers. You know what I mean? Uh, they just arrested my supervisor, Michael McKennedy, for stealing money out of a house. You know what I mean? These are the people that I know. This is part of my world that I was a part of. 
And, it's a, and I'm telling you, when I'm saying it's a culture, it's a culture. Uh, when when you talk about gangs in Philadelphia, the police department got the best gang because yeah. we get away with so much. You know what I mean? Within the organization, you know what I mean? It's 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 basically corruption at its best. And and I was able to survive for 20 years. Three Philadelphia police officers have been arrested this morning by the DEA on drug charges involving the sale of steroids. Information very preliminary at this point, but two police officers, I'm told, and a detective from the Special Victims Unit. There's other information coming in. It's apparently the result of a long-term investigation by the DEA in cooperation with the police department. I am being told that they will be suspended with intent to dismiss by the police department once this information becomes public later this morning. This is the latest in a string of Philadelphia police officers who've been arrested on drug charges. Making money, you know what I mean? And celebrating on holidays and stuff like that. You know, you live in a good world. And, and other police officers, you know, when they want to come in narcotics, that line is long. They know it's money, either narcotics or highway patrol. And we, I'm surprised we hear a lot about those guys because they work hand in hand with the narcotics unit. You know, they the ones that stop, they the uniform people who stop us, you know? And that's just that's just what it is under the situation. You know what I mean? It's it's what I'm doing is very, very dangerous. I'm telling on an organization that within that organization is a lot of people who don't want a, a story to come out. You know what I mean? I'm one man doing it. And yeah. I tell you, I dude, I <laughs> dude, I can tell you the stories. <laughs> I've been home, and you know how much in my situation, how much a man should have to pay for his deeds. You know what I'm saying? You know, and it's a limit to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To the point where, you know, what I mean, I'm still pushing forward, hoping that people will join the fight and okay. it be a unified front. So they, the FOP has it's like a war. It's like it's a war between the FOP and the DA's office. And they both doing his accent. That's to tell you what's really going on. You know what yeah. I mean? And they t- they'll tell you all the cases are being reversed. These guys are coming out committing crime. That's not true. You know what I mean? I work with some rights attorneys all day. I never hear that many clients recommit maybe maybe one, but that's just like a, a under a violation of you know a technical violation, not going out committing shot somebody or this and that. I never I would know that. You know what I mean? Because I've been helping not just. I've been helping all these civil rights attorneys, okay? I've sat in Bradley Bridges' office pointing out jobs. You know, I've went as far as that, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part from my home, you know what I mean? And um, I'm doing something that is very selfless, thinking of others before myself, you know what I mean? And, and it takes a special type of person that's doing what I'm doing. Everybody can't do it because there's a lot of lonely nights. There's a lot of family members who are saying, oh, you crazy. I ain't dealing with the police. You know, people know how the police is. They ain't, they ain't messing with police. Because they don't know who going to come. You know what I'm saying? They know a guy can walk around and, and put anything on. You go right to prison. And he can have four or five other cops mm. testifying right along with him and say, yeah, he did that. I mean, look at look at my, my indictment and look at back in 2015 when the trial. It was three months. Supervisors came, testified. And this officers be in, in behalf, and they lie in tooth to nail. They lie, and they try to the U.S. attorney try to bring. How can you say 
police officer Walker was doing X, Y, and Z, and you not know about it as a supervisor. You know what I mean? They'll tell you, oh, he's sleeping in the car. We all slept in the car. We all did. We all did the exact same thing. That I did the exact same thing, or they did the exact same thing I did. But it was easy for them to isolate. And that's when the racism comes into play. When you're looking at the public and said, they don't really want these white cops to go to jail. They're locking up people of color who are terrorizing the neighborhoods. They don't want that to happen. We all have to look at ourselves when we talk about corruption. Because it's not just mm. the police department. It's the DA's office. Again, they start out, I work with interns, meaning when they're still they have not even taken the bar, they're doing preliminary narcotic hearings. They're getting to know all the narcotic officers. We have a relationship where we go to parties with them. I go to the, we should have a defense party that we go to where it's, D, it's DAs in there. All the private defense attorney comes as a Christmas party to give every year. What do we think we're talking about? When you have a police officer sitting there shoulder to shoulder and he's talking to a defense attorney, a, narco, a drug attorney. So a lot of these major drug attorneys, I witness a lot of misconduct. You know what I'm saying? Where you where they go to us and they'll say, my client wants to give us information outside the DA's office not knowing. In a proffer meaning, if their client wants to talk, he have to set up a proffer with the DA's office. First, he has to plead guilty to the charges that he has. This whole thing, when I witness where these uh, private attorneys come to my guys working outside deals for us not to show up for court, this thing runs deep, bro. You know what I mean? This thing runs, it's to the point of scary. You know what I mean? To the point where how can we clear it out? My best suggestion is you we have to have a place that a police officer can go that's confidential and he can tell what's going on outside of the department. Let's start with that first. Because I don't care what the boss will tell you. Oh, they, all, they all turn the blind eye. Okay? The truth is when you have police officers who leave the job, they want to write books and stuff like that, they can't write a true, real story. I think the one book I read was The Thin Blue Line. And I met that narcotics uh, supervisor. You know what I mean? And I had a chance to talk to him. He turned, and from my me talking to him, he turned a lot of blind eyes. What was going on? And he he couldn't write that story like he wanted to because they would question his story. It was a good book, but you know he didn't tell a complete story. Like the book busted was written by two, I may have been reporters or DAs, whatever. Well, I read that book. That was the first glimpse in narcotics misusing confidential informant. That was the first glimpse. The people, and I was, I was already, when that book was out, I was already incarcerated. And I read that book when I was incarcerated. And oh. they was actually, they were at the, they were just peeling the first layer off of what was going on. And most of those guys I knew, the Chuddicks, Bologna, I worked with Bologna. You know, I witnessed Bologna offer my guy money in the house. He didn't take it because I didn't, we wasn't, it wasn't part of our clique. You know what I mean? And it was simple as this. Put a pair of pants off the ground. Yo, you want this? My guy looked at him like, and it was Reynolds. He's like, no. Nah. I looked at him like, that man crazy? He's trying to set us up, you know? But it, it, we didn't take it. Even though we were still, we didn't take it. It's we, we it's some rules with all of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I was in a house and my supervisor uh, offered me uh, a few thousand dollars in a house, and I wouldn't take it. You know what I mean? I took the 50000 split it with Tommy Lichardell and that I found in the basement. You know what I'm saying? It's just, just the way it is. 
you know, so I got a question for you, right? You get arrested, you go through the process. What was your first? How was your first month in prison? I was playing in the cities. One, when I got taken down, a young FBI guy called me a punk ass. I clearly jumped and said, I ain't no punk ass. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. I know I'm wrong, but you're gonna respect me. The second thing I did, when they told me who set me up, I cried. You know what I mean? Because I watched these, I took these guys, you know what I mean? When their babies were born, you know, we dropped them off at the hospital. We got history with my, my daughter's first birthday. You know what I mean? She's 16 now. We go all the way back and these kids wasn't even before the kids were even born. You know what I mean? We were like a tight knit, keep your mouth shut squad. Even though we had issues, uh, we wasn't telling on each other. I parted from the, the uh, detectives. I shook their hands. FBI, I said, because I respected their work because they did it right. I was wrong. I shook both their hands. They did a good job. I went up to the unit. Uh, I sat there. And I got arraigned within 24 hours. I got a lot of evil looks. A lot of people was spitting, and it was like it was being crucified. When I got came back up, and they put me in the holding facility. And if you've been in a federal facility, they got something called uh, suicide tanks, especially FDC. I said, and I, I, the, the CEO looked. He said, he don't look good. So they put me in there. I sat there for almost two over I think two days and and it's a, a cement slab and a thin mattress and I was I was at rock bottom but at that point I had to be a man I had to get up and say hey man you know this this is this ain't the end you know voice into my head said Jeff get up I believe it was God you know what I mean because I'm here now get up man you got to get up this ain't the end of your life we just we just switching gears on this you know what I mean if I was not arrested I tell you right now, I was probably been killed or set up by one of my guys to be killed. Wow, That's how deep I was. I mean, I can tell you a scenario where before I left the squad, I was driving in my car and uh, they all stared at me that, you know, you talking to the feds. And I'm old school, I ain't talking to no feds. If I'm talking to them, I'm spinning them. I go out to a lot and I go take a, a leak. I come back and my, my partner got a gun on me. You know, I'm pointing right at me. Now, muscle memory, I've been involved in shootings. I'm going to fire. But I quickly had to remember, if I fire it, everything else opens up. You know what I'm saying? So when I went to the supervisor, and, told, and that was Sergeant McCluskey, I said, yo, such such as pulled his gun on me. I'm threatened. His return was, get out of the squad. Leave. You don't like it? Leave. That's exact words. You know what I mean? And I left. But I kept, I went through different squads, and I was able to see other bad habits in these squads. You know what I mean? Like I can tell you, I don't know if you you old enough to remember the, the the TV show Shield, Vic Mackey, where it was a TV show about a, a narcotics group of guys, and Vic Mackey uh, made another team. He was actually in the commission, and he was a leader of the squad. He cut all his hair, leader of the squad, and in this squad room, they had a big picture of him, and it said, "Team sticks together." You know what I mean? And yes. that was their mentor picture. 24-year-old Nia Rollerson and her mom's nightmare began on the night of February 12, 2010. Neither one of them had prior criminal records, but the seven officers in question had accused them of numerous drug trafficking charges. Even more ludicrous, she says, they were charged with trafficking children. They were convicted on the officer's testimony and sent to prison. They even lost their home under drug forfeiture laws. Our whole life just, like, literally took everything, everything. Our good name, our house money, everything, just taken away. Our freedom. Before we go, Mr. Jeffrey, let me say this, true story. 19, 
86, North Philadelphia, yeah. Badlands, detectives, yeah. Starch and Hutch, they used to call them. Okay. Stark and Hutch, right? 17 years old, set up for a homicide I never committed. That's crazy. 31 years in prison, myself. I come home, where do you think where my first job was? I don't know, I mean. <laughs> the 25th police district. I think I heard the story before and I made a comment. I was like, um, he got a lot of heart because once I'm out of a, a situation, like if someone told me and said, if you could turn everything back around again, would you do the exact same thing? I said, I would have to think about that because I don't want, I would have to think about all the pain and all the, the manipulation that I was given to other people and the manipulation that I was going through being brainwashed to other police officers. You know, I had to really think about that. But what keeps me driving is the ability to help so many people and change their lives because the information I have is so valuable. Yeah, I mean, and we so thank I had you to rethink. That. I said, you know, I would go through that again, but I had to think about it because I had to think about all the shit that I had been through. I put myself through, you know what I mean? And for guys like yourself, I mean, if things happen indirectly, you're, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with your case to a point, but not in detail. But, you know, when people like Larry get in the office, give people like you a chance for a new life. Because I can guarantee you this, when it was another DA in there, you'd be sitting in there because that, you know, it's, it's a unified front. For the very first time, you have someone going against the grain. For the very first time, you have a civil rights attorney that's actually in charge of the DA's office. And I knew Seth, you know what I mean? Seth grew up in my neighborhood. He was brainwashed too. He's, he, I look at Seth as a victim as corruption as I was because the whole Philadelphia is corrupt. It's a dirty, business. It's not just with the cops. You see the cops because we're at the front of everything. We have politicians. We have city council. We have, you know I mean, people in, it's so many different levels of the city that people are subjected to do the wrong thing because that is the culture. That is the culture. That is the fitting. You cannot come into somebody's house and try to change things without no type of resistance. And that's I mean, just where it is. Like I said, right, as executive producer of this show with my partner, Kevin McCracken. Uh, we really appreciate you doing this, right? But I also want to say that I think that we want to bring you back and offer you some space, right? We could talk about it, how we could develop something where you could tell story, where you could bring other cops. They perhaps want to remain anonymous and just tell the stories anonymous. We could do that because I think there is an important voice in this conversation and reforming the system. And I think that you are the right person to lead that conversation because like exactly. you said earlier, you know how to read a report and say, that's some bullshit. That's, uh, you know, I, you know, I can look at a report and I can say what they did right and what they did wrong. Because so the easy we, way for the attack it is the policy. So if you're willing, you know, we willing, we want to bring you back and maybe do more episodes with you or maybe give you an hour once a month, once a week. I don't know yet, right? Where you could point out certain things that the general public could benefit from when dealing with these issues. What do the average person that don't know law, that's been caught up and is saying, I was just at the wrong corner at the wrong time, right? 
what do we look for to prove that? You know, I don't know. I'm not a cop. You know, I've been in the other side, right? But perhaps you could say, you know what? Read this report right. This is what you look for. Question this, question that, because that's another way of helping people. Almost that. I've been doing this since I've been home. It's just I got so frustrated. I stopped doing it, and I changed gears doing podcasts. It's not the first podcast I've done. Um, and documentaries I've done. If you go on YouTube, they have a, a documentary out there that I started right back in 2016 or 17, uh, finished from the start. Um, I come on the tail end of that. You know, I said a whole lot, but they edited, edited a lot out. When I did again, I did the Meek Mill situation. That kid was lost. He was stuck. You know what I mean? And and I didn't want anything in return. I just wanted that kid to have a second chance in life like anybody else. He was a regular, ordinary person to me. You know what I mean? To have a, a his his life back because he fell under a manipulation situation along with started with corruption. You know what I mean? And I looked at that officer's paperwork and that paperwork was trash. You know what I mean? I was able to break that thing down from beginning to the end. Uh, when I first came home, they got an article out you can look up called uh, "Once Crooked Cop Witness for Others," where I actually that's the very first thing I started talking about jobs and breaking things down and going into how things are. But again, I got feedback on one of the, the defense attorneys who protected them. It was at the beginning. Oh, he's lying. He's lying about this. He's lying about that. He's lying about this. But we speed up today. Everything that I am saying, they found to be true. You know, when the government gives you a K-5 and an offense, they just don't get that thing out. Even if a person is you don't get a, a you know verdict out of you know these guys were acquitted. I was still giving my K five. I was giving almost two because I cooperated again. And and you know in another situation dealing with the exact same person who locked up Meek Mills, I didn't find out that you know I mean I, they were talking about an investigation because they were getting that information from them. Well, the whole situation is we have a lot of work. This is not I'm on my own mission too, and I'm willing to help anybody and everybody to create a unified front because again i'm working with an organization called the police transparency organization i'm actually speaking at villanova in the, in, in the fall certain classes i want to be able to talk to the educators as many as people as i can about corruption how it starts and give you a real true picture of what's really going on and people need that and it's not you know i think what discouraged me and i think i talked to kevin about this is it's a slippery slope because with anything that's good, you're always going to have a new thing start. You're always going to have somebody try to take advantage. Oh, yeah, I, I know how to get over on the cops. This is not about getting over on the police department. This is about freeing people who are wrong to convicted. Because there's a lot of people still in there. There's a lot of people who don't have that money to get out of there. Okay? But they need somebody with a backbone as far as an attorney to actually do that paperwork so they can get out. Because there's guys out there like yourself that I was in prison with, need to be lawyers because they know how to put that paperwork together. And they learned that on trial and error. And they just as better as the lawyers is out here. Okay? And they got them, they get themselves out of it. Before you get to the point of talking to a judge, that judge wants you to get a lawyer. That's sometimes that judge don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, you know, out of no disrespect. But, you know, you're not an attorney. You got to get yourself a lawyer. And these lawyers come in, but the person who actually did the paperwork is the person that got them there. But they need a lawyer face to get them right where they're at. So all that helps out too. You know, but again, it's it's a system that's been around for so long that has to it's too much. 
The streets are getting worse and worse, and the system is broken. I My last question is this. I come from a background where I have a highly decorated cop yeah. in my family. And I wonder, generally speaking, do you think that all cops, even the ones that are good at some time in their career, indulge in some corruption? What do you tell you? Hmm? What do you tell you? No, no, I'm asking you. He ain't gonna tell you. Of course not. Of course not. He's not gonna tell me. This thing is generational. It's deep. And why would he expose himself? Because he could have been no offense to your family. You know, I'm keeping it real, bro. He could have been one of them at one time. Okay. You know what I mean? I have the chance to talk to people who other people are police who left the job. I can leave you with this story. And this is a really deep story. My stepfather was a police officer. When I became a police officer in 89, me and I had a talk like four years within my job. And we had a talk. And I was like, what's going on? I, I didn't know you were a cop. It was something he kept quiet. He said, man, I had to get out of there, man. He had three choices. He didn't want to give me three choices. You either participate, turn a blind eye, you get out. I was working with this guy in the 16th district. He said his name, Tim Jennings. And he, you know, he was out there. I didn't like the way he worked. I left the job. He forced me out. That was the same guy who trained me. And I couldn't tell him that I was already turned. You know what I'm saying? He made the choice because he was a lot older. He could make that choice. He went back to seven. I was 19, not fresh out of high school. I just wanted, I was on a battle. I couldn't tell him that was the one who trained me. And with and that, deep. with that, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on our show and I hope that you accept the invitation to work with Kevin and I and bringing yeah. some more information out to the public if you listen to our podcast we don't hold nothing back we, yeah, try, to, we try to bring we try to be authentic and we try to be fair and give everybody a voice and I think that your voice matters in this conversation yes. I think even if it's just to educate the public on how to deal with the police, right? Yeah. And I do want to say to our listeners that we not against the police, right? No. I wouldn't I wouldn't stand for if you were. We are a podcast. We are a podcast that pride ourselves in bringing the truth and nothing but the truth, right? Yeah. And sometimes we may not like who's delivering that truth, but it's the truth. You know, live experience would chop anything. Right, and police officers are human beings. They are fathers, brothers, sisters, mothers, grandmothers. They just made mistakes and got caught. We all make mistakes. They're part we of a system make... that's not right. Right, and we all make mistakes in life. Some of us get caught, some of us didn't. And with that said, my name is Suave Gonzalez. Our special guest today, Jeffrey Walker, and our co-host, creator, producer of Death by Incarceration, Kevin McCracken. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you go up to that button, scroll down, like and subscribe, because I guarantee you that when you hear our special guest today speak the truth and nothing but the truth about Philly Police Department, 
you're going to want to hear some more. So we're waiting for your thoughts. We're waiting for your comments. And if you want to hear from this brother, contact us, right? We will forward an email to him. My name is Suave Gonzalez, Polister Award winner, IDA Award winner, and I approve this message. Thank you so much for listening. Please support us on Patreon at Death by Incarceration Podcast. Hit that follow button on all platforms. Share with a friend or 10. Follow us on social media at Death by Incarceration on Instagram, at DB Incarceration on Twitter, at DBI underscore podcast on TikTok. For all booking and media requests, please email Kevin at Death by Incarceration Podcast.com. Death by Incarceration is a production of DBI Media LLC. Produced and written by Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken. Editing by Jason Usry. Thanks to Crawl Space Media and Glassbox Media for being our partners. Please listen to our other shows, Injustice with Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels, and watch for our upcoming special on the Camp Hill Riot of 1989. Special thanks to Checker for all their support of the show and to Kevin and Suave individually. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, everyone. And please, if you can, Take action. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.